Well, Milton, let me take you back to where it all began for modern Singapore in the early 60s. And these days, Singapore has such a strong and distinctive national identity that it's somewhat jarring for an outside observer to think that in those early days, Lee Kuan Yew very much wanted Singapore to be part of the Malaysian Federation. Tell us why that is and why eventually that effort failed and Singapore became an independent nation state. First of all, Sam, it was the fact that Lee, before he was heavily engaged in politics as Prime Minister of Singapore from 1959 onwards, worked in the early 50s towards the independence of Malaya and Singapore with Malaya. When the 1960s arrived uh, and Singapore was in a position to establish an identity, it was at the time when Indonesia was aggressively pursuing its foreign policy goals under Sukarno, which led, of course, eventually to confrontation, confrontasi. And Indonesia was a belligerent state seen from the Singaporean point of view. And here was this country, state of three million people, that saw its own survival as essentially linked with a larger organisation, which was ultimately the Federation of Malaysia. Now, on top of that, uh, Lee and his close associates believed that they had something to offer to a Malaysian Federation. They really believed that it would be possible to have what they called a Malaysian Malaysia, which meant a Malaysia in which leaders from Singapore and indeed from the Borneo territories could play a role at the federal level. And when that federation failed and Singapore was eventually kicked out, Lee Kuan Yew wept, did he not? And yet, is it fair to say that after that time, Lee Kuan Yew developed a, uh, a distinctive Singaporean nationalism? Yes, I think that's correct. Uh, they were very conscious of the need to do that because you've always got to remember that Singapore is not a single ethnic state. 75% uh, of the population is ethnic Chinese, but uh, the balance of the rest, about 10% people of Indian origin ethnically, and the other members of the uh, population Malays. So Singapore has always been concerned to mould that group uh, into a single national unit, uh, to do it in ways that uh, are not always recognised. For instance, to eliminate the Malay kampongs that were established on the outer islands of Singapore and to bring those people into housing developments where they were mingled with Chinese and Indian members of the population. And just to underline Lee Kuan Yew's achievement, not his alone of course, but largely his in, in the development of Singapore. You told me earlier that you lived for a time in Singapore in the early 60s and in an op-ed you wrote for the AFR yesterday, you used the phrase tropical slum and that's, that's, that's really what it was. It really was. There were areas of course where under colonial times people had lived in great comfort, expatriates. There were also very rich Chinese who lived very comfortably. But in areas that uh, you can still see today in a transformed form in what is called Chinatown, people lived in utterly miserable conditions. There's a very famous book by a British academic called Barrington Kay. It's called Upper Nanking Street, and it describes what life was like in that tropical slum. And I was lucky enough, or unfortunate enough, not sure, quite sure which, to have seen actually how it was. And that has now been transformed. 
Now, in the 70s and 80s, as that transformation was taking place, Singapore started to develop a very distinctive uh, and not altogether complementary identity to outsiders, to foreigners. Uh, and it was around peculiarities, like apparently Lee Kuan Yew's uh, r- rule, if you like, that that um, that men were to have short hair. There was uh, there were social strictures around chewing gum uh, and and strict penalties for for littering and so on. And there was also uh, very strict penalties uh, around drug trafficking. Um, first of all, tell me about what that said about Lee Kuan Yew's leadership, that kind of social conservatism. But also that identity that was created in the West, what does that miss about uh, the way Singapore was developing in that period? Well, of course, um, chewing gum is still a no no in Singapore. Um, but things like short hair and littering, I believe they were seen by Lee Kuan Yew and his associates in the Singaporean cabinet as a reflection of laziness, of failure to understand that life was a great deal more than indulgence. Long hair was seen as an indulgence. And I think it was particularly seen in their minds because of the student revolts of the late 1960s, that sort of thing. Um, But what was missed by the commentaries that reflected on those aspects of Singaporean life was the fact that much deeper things were taking place. Uh, A recognition that it was important if Singapore was going to survive that it had to achieve high results in schools. Some of the schools, the best schools in Singapore, are some of the best in the world, and they were becoming the best during the late 1960s and into the 1970s. The universities were being transformed so that today uh, the National University of Singapore ranks very highly on any sort of uh, list of of universities throughout the world. Uh, Lee Kuan Yew believed that Western indulgence, as he saw Western democracy, was not something that Singapore could afford if it was going to achieve its place in the world that he believed it should have, and if it was going to do through simple hard work. Hmm. And just lastly, Milton, the the piece you wrote for the Financial Review yesterday closes with uh, a reflection on Lee Kuan Yew's achievements to more or less eradicate corruption from Singapore, and I think you see that as his signature achievement. Why is that? I believe it is at least uh, the most important of his signature achievements. It makes Singapore the only country in Southeast Asia, and I have travelled in all of the other ones and lived in others. It's the only country where corruption simply is not accepted in any form whatsoever. And that's a real achievement. And it does mean uh, that it's much easier to understand as outsiders why so many Singaporeans believe that Singapore is the place they want to live. Milton, thanks for your time. Pleasure.